Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus, otherwise known as Word Vomit. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle award-winning novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as the Hotel series and Pretty Ugly. Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martin, authoress of the Bourbon books, including the award-winning novel Dibs since September and Move on Melinda. With us today is Lori Radar Day, and she is here to talk about her latest book, Death at Greenway. Welcome, Lori, to Vox Vomitus. Yay! Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Um, Lori, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Death at Greenway with no spoilers. For no spoilers, of no course. Spoilers. Of course. Um, so about me, um, I've been a writer most of my life. I sort of remember the first moment that I realized that I could put words together and, and start to make a story. I was six or seven years old and I had a favorite, uh, set of books, the Ramona Cleary books. Anybody <gasps> yes. yes. I feel like I might've read that in your bio. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like one of those formative things, right? Like I loved, I was a big reader went to the library all the time with my mom and my sister, loved these books. And one day I noticed that there was a name on the front cover that was not Ramona Quimby. It was Beverly Cleary. And I didn't understand why. No. why? I don't remember her from the book. Who is this? Is Ramona tells her own stories and she won't have it any other way. <laughs> like, what is happening here? And I'm six or seven. I'm Ramona's <laughs> age, right? Like, I'm the brat like she is. I'm like, who is this Beverly Cleary person? And I worked it out. Like, oh, she's the woman who makes these stories possible so that I can read them. That's really cool. I wonder... I wonder if I could write a story. Yeah, like, is that a job? Is that well, something I mean, you can job. <laughs> is it grow up? <laughs> I mean, not even a job, really. Like, like, is that a thing? Is that, is this is a thing that people create these stories? Well, I'm really interested in stories, so maybe I should give it a try. And I remember trying to put some words together and starting a Ramona Quimby story, of course. Uh, Fan fiction. My favorite. It, Early fanfic. I mean, Early we didn't call fiction. it then. This is it was plagiarism. <laughs> we called it theft. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So my first creative act was a uh, crime, and I think that is a is a good, uh, you know, starter for the the life of crime I have led ever since. Uh, I feel like you're in good company here. One of the first things I remember writing was a nightmare on Elm Street fan fiction. I guess. Yeah, I've turned it in for like an assignment for school. Yeah, your teacher rejected nice. it too. He did reject it. He didn't even grade it. He just wrote no oh. on it. No and gave it back. And I'm like, huh. Well, what was the assignment? That's not fair. It was just probably like, didn't involve that. Just like, it was just like, you know, I was like 10 or something. It was just like, write a story, write anything you want. And I was okay. like, I want to write. I don't know why I wanted to write that, but I did. I don't think that's fair. I think you should have been able to, to write that story. As long as it was an original mm-hmm story with those characters i mean I think it seemed it, it seemed maybe original enough for someone who had I never mean, seen the movies other than school? like come on <laughs> <laughs> right you hadn't seen the movies you weren't old enough to see the movies <laughs> well, yeah but well, i kept like, seeing, like the previews for it and i'm like oh that looks terrifying well it's like all well, the kids right now running around dressed like squid game they're like squid game like please tell me you have not seen squid game but they all think it's really cool but they have no idea what it really is but they're like, yeah i'm in squid game 
<laughs> That's hilarious. I'm dressed like a squid, so I'm in Squid Game. Mm-hmm. Same thing. <laughs> totally. I obviously have not seen Squid Game. Um, I only I made know, it. Four I know a little bit about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think you were unfairly. Uh, I, this is. We could talk about this the whole time. Unfairly categorized as not original because you're writing genre fiction. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. You have mm. no idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> um, so, so I wrote my whole life. Uh, I, I'm from Central Indiana. I, you know, wrote in high school. I suddenly started finishing things. I wrote in college, but I didn't get serious about it until um, a friend of mine from high school, who I had beaten in a writing competition, published his first book. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, the, the core oh, of my being is it. now Beth. And envy. And like, yeah. <laughs> We're working on our seven deadlies right there, Lori. I like I, it. I think so. <laughs> I think uh, checking them off. Um, but it, I like to think that envy actually fueled me because I had not been writing. I had mm-hmm. you know, graduated college and started a job and, and I had a writing job. Uh, I was doing some really excellent healthcare articles, but um, <laughs> someone's got to. <laughs> I mean, somebody does and I have and it's not a bad job, but it, I also had not written anything for myself in about five years when his book was coming out and I was so excited. And now you say this was a friend of yours or was it like a frenemy of yours? I was going to say friend. <laughs> no, he, he was and is a friend of mine. Uh, he's like a but brother in that moment now. that he, fu- he was published, he was not your friend. That split in second. That- in the moment in, in your brain, I he became actually, my enemy. <laughs> it was it was actually a very interesting moment in like adulthood because I was so envious, but I was also so happy simultaneously for him. I went down to the nearest Barnes and Noble, the only bookstore I could get to in my lunch hour, writing healthcare articles, and bought every copy on the shelf and just started <gasps> passing them out to anyone who was interested. Oh Okay, for any uh, Loera High School class of 96ers who want to just go buy a bunch of my books and hand them out, I am okay with that. Oh, I wish I had friends in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, too late. No, I really should have made some different life choices. I'm just saying class of. Anybody. 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 (laughs) I will say I was so excited once because a boy that my mom used to babysit bought my book and like sent me a message on Facebook and he was like, I just bought your book. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Cool. Thank you. Are we related? <laughs> I know. I was like that's who it was, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh so it was, I mean I was I was very envious. I was but I was also very happy. But I it it in the envy is like it's not useful unless you make something of it. And I thought, that's well smart. the thing that I realized in that moment was these this kid who's just like me, he's only a year older than I am from the same sort of sticks that I'm from in central Indiana, nowhere, you know, in this little tiny town, he did it. He told stories and he was getting published. I hadn't realized that that was a job. Remember? (laughs) I mean, it wasn't a job. It wasn't a thing. And then it wasn't a job. And then it suddenly it's a job. I'm like, wait a minute. I either need to do this or stop talking about it. Right. I need to put up or shut up. Yeah. So um, I got serious in 2006. I uh, went back to school because that was a way to sort of get some some deadlines and an audience and got an MFA, wrote a lot of short stories, started getting published. One of those short stories got long. Um, <laughs> it just didn't end. <laughs> it, it really, I mean, it ended, but it was like 50 pages or something like that. And my workshop was like, we want more of everything. And I'm like, I don't, 
how? And my teacher's like, it's called a novel, Lori, so keep writing. <laughs> um, so I did, but there was also a crime in the first chapter. And so somebody else, I got the chance to go to a fellowship thing in Indiana and work with a writer and I put me in the mystery group. And I was, I was so disheartened. I, I, Where did I you think you would be, Lori? What troop would you have been? Fiction, you know, just fiction. Just like general? Um, yeah, general. but they had a fiction okay. group, they had a nonfiction group, and then they had a mystery group. Those are the like only three choices. The only three categories. I mean, it was just a, it was like a nine-person fellowship okay. program, okay. like just an overnight. It was a really cool program that they don't do one anymore, unfortunately. But um, I think they just because of what they had, uh, what had been submitted, you know, they they chose the best ones, and then they were sort of dividing them in some way. And I guess they thought that the mystery was a, a clear division, and they put me in it. And I thought, I that's not that's not right. That's not. I, wait, the fiction group's walking away, and and I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. What? What? No. <laughs> but um, I I got the the best help from the teacher of that group, Terrence Verity, who's an Indiana crime writer, and and he's like, kid, I you know you've got a crime in your first chapter. Are you gonna solve <laughs> it? <laughs> Are you gonna solve it? <laughs> and I'm and you're like, like oh. do I have? Is that up to me? Do I have well, to solve it? <laughs> it was a true story last yeah. week, and now it's a novel, and now it's a crime novel. So uh, I'm not really sure, actually. But um, yeah, I-, I think maybe sure. Yeah, I like yeah, I like solutions. I like sure. Yes, of course. <laughs> I will. I will solve. I will solve that. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's uh, called mystery. So uh, I got some really great help that like helped shortcut some of the mistakes maybe that I would have made. Because I would, I, I mean, as you can tell from all the stories I've told you so far, I just sort of wander around and uh, people <laughs> direct me in the right way. Uh, but so that's how I got sort of serious about it and into the mystery community. And it has been a pretty quick ride since then. My first novel, not the one I was writing at that time, um was published in 2014 it's called the black hour um and it won the best first miss uh anthony award that year oh congrats that's a that's like a good first award it was also nominated for the it was nominated for the mary higgins clark award but i didn't win that year i won that one the next year with my second book and so the sixth book is death at greenway at last we have arrived ladies (laughs) <laughs> death at Greenway. Um, the origin for Death at Greenway is that I was reading a nonfiction book about Agatha Christie, who I, I love back going back to those libraries when I was, you know, 10, 11 yes. years old. My first adult books, uh, like I read everything in the children's section, and the librarian was like, Get out of my face, kid. Get, go upstairs. <laughs> go upstairs. Uh, and I was afraid of upstairs because there was a big desk and a scary librarian. And my mom was up there and she's not going to make, she's going to make me go back down. And yeah. then where, where are the books? If I can't, there's no, there was no YA. There was no YA. I remember being in first grade <laughs> and like reading all of the Nancy Drew books, like psychotically read them all. And then I was like, well, what next? Mm-hmm. I and was Agatha Christie. That's what, that, that was like the oh. YA that I had in the children's section. Lois Duncan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I went from like Nancy Drew to then I went through like Agatha Christie. This was in my school library. But then once I was like allowed, my parents like were like, I guess she's really into reading. We should like bring her to the town <laughs> library. But then they realized I stopped returning books. I would just take oh. them because I like, they're like trophies you're a to me. 
because I'm like a klepto. Because um, <laughs> you love them And then so they were like, much. nope, she, she can't go to the library anymore. She won't return to books. But they always said, we'll buy you any book you want. That's if you're reading. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I like really took advantage of that. And I went into like the lowest Duncan, Christopher Pike, the, the one little shelf of YA that they had. <laughs> yeah. So, so for younger, younger listeners, they may not understand this whole concept of there was no YA when we were, when we were growing up, it was like, Hey, so you finish Nancy drew and then you've got to go read something where who knows what's going on. And your mom may or may not want you to read it. And my mom definitely didn't. <laughs> so, uh, I know. I think ours had this tiny little shelf of YA. And I, I remember reading a couple books that were there, but that really wasn't, it wasn't a thing until some of the later authors started doing, Hey, there are readers who are between the ages of 12 and 16, and they might want to read something yeah. that's kind of aimed at them. Because like I remember a, the yeah, chef them, having right? Ramona Quimby, age eight. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you there, Goddess Me, Margaret? Mm-hmm. Trumpet of the Swans, Lois Duncan, Christopher. Like they were all like kind of Wait, grouped those together. In, were those in YA? Because that's not YA. They're not YA, but we, we, there okay, mine was YA Robert, section. Ro- mine was Robert Cormier. Uh, I am the cheese. There were a couple Robert Cormier books. Okay. Yeah. So, and I know the second one I read, I'm trying to remember what the name of it was, but it involved like in, a kid who could in turn invisible. And then he witnessed boy and girl twins doing stuff. So I'm sure this was not for like little, little kids, but it was wow. in the YA <laughs> section. I'll remember what it is later. Sorry. I mean, I, I, we literally had no YA section. It was the bottom floor was like picture books in the middle. I don't know what the other side was, maybe middle. Mm-hmm. And middle grade to Lois Duncan is all in one place. Like E.L. Konigsberg was my favorite um, from the mixed up files. Um, And Lois Duncan right there next to each other. And then, you know, I kept bothering the librarian and she's like, go upstairs. But I was nervous because I thought she sent me up and my mom's going to send me down. Yeah. You'll just be stuck on the stairs. I'll just be on the (laughs) stairs. I can't go to the library anymore. So I ducked into the first doorway before the big scary desk. And it was the mystery room. I literally found Agatha Christie by ducking. Because you were like, I'm scared scared. of the desk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and, you know, they had bright, you know, easy to like look at covers. And so I just like started picking things off the shelves and I loved her. Mary Higgins Clark was an early favorite. I was way too young for her. I didn't know what and then you was going on. Award? But I loved, I, I, and I know I was in seventh grade reading Mary Higgins Clark on the bus, like telling all my friends, you guys, you have to read these books. Um, <laughs> and they're like, uh, no, our parents won't allow it. Our parents won't allow it. <laughs> our parents watch what we're doing. Okay, but there, were, there was no shelf. There was no room. There was no, I, no, Christopher Pike was coming along. My sister was reading him. But I, I don't, I think I was just a little too old. I'm old. Um, but I, so I love Agatha Christie <laughs> forever. Um, today is the anniversary of her death, by the way, 1976. <gasps> this is um, so perfect that we are doing the show today. But, and, and it's National so Hot Tea Day. <laughs> it's which what? I've already celebrated. National Hot Tea Day, which I've already celebrated many times over. I mean, I, I was drinking you guys. I, I guess I'll have to have some later. Right now, I'm just drinking basic white girl drink. I'm just drinking like just water. Water. Yeah. I already <laughs> had boring. many, many teas. Maybe that's why I'm like, yeah, let's talk about everything. <laughs> well, well I, I was going to ask though, where the whole Agatha Christie thing came from, but it's one of those things where it's never gone out of style to appreciate her, but it was just funny because I was closing up my tabs before we came on here. And one of my reader services is like, oh yeah, new Agatha Christie collection being released. And I'm like, 
she's been dead a while now. How is she releasing books? And I know it's a collection, but still, the interest <laughs> has, not, dead, has not subsided. The family is definitely packaging up everything that they have the rights to and <laughs> and uh, putting short story collections together, which is really cool. They had a winter collection. I think they have like a like a romance some of them that have like romance uh, twinge to them, tinge to them, which is really cool. They yeah, make they, me twinge. They, <laughs> I'm not I sure I want to read Christie. Agatha Christie writing romance, but that is, well, not romance, romance, but like I have a crush mysteries on that have Does couples that in them, that kind of thing. <laughs> mustache. It's the mustache. <laughs> mysteries yeah. that have couples at the heart of the story is maybe oh, okay. a better way oh, to yeah. say that, not romances. Um, so I, I'm a, OG fan of Agatha Christie. So I'm reading this nonfiction book about her called The Secret Notebooks of Agatha Christie. It's it's about how she wrote. Um, it is for super fans, I think. I'm not sure casual fans will find it as fascinating as <laughs> I did. But it's it's about um, so she's a notebook girl, uh, sh- but she didn't use one notebook per project. She had notebooks all over her houses. And so she would just reach for, oh, I need to work something out. So I'm just going to reach for the nearest notebook and then and jot some things down and work some things out. And then, okay. And then puts it down and then goes back to the typewriter when she's ready, right? She, it's mostly from here to the typewriter that she's working. But um, here, noggin, if people, you can't see me. Um, so she, <laughs> she used all these notebooks, but then there's no system to the notebooks, right? So the family had a researcher uh, offer to come in. John Curran came in and and cataloged these notebooks and and figured out how she used them, how her books developed over time. Again, super fans only, probably. It was fascinating because you um, need one of those like um, it's like the zodiacs like code breaking. People <laughs> have to come I in and like so. figure out how how the notebooks fit together. The, the, like the, the code, code is definitely yeah i mean i think he developed in a way a little bit of a code trying to figure out which book that she's talking about in yeah. some places and and then and then three notebooks away and yeah the numbers aren't necessarily in order that kind of thing um so she uh that's how she worked and so, but in the introduction of this book before i even got to the part where i'm fascinated by how she worked uh he's talking about um sort of all the uh, inspirations for her work that, you know, she wrote about this place and she wrote about this place and, and all this has sneaked into her work. And he mentioned uh, in about a half sentence, maybe five or six words that Greenway house, her beloved summer home, her holiday home was used in world war II to house child evacuees. And I sat up in bed because I love this is another childhood thing that i love bed knobs and broomsticks the movie the disney movie which is i don't know if you guys are familiar but it's one of the first partial animated partial live action movies that disney and maybe anyone did and it's it's just a childhood favorite i know it backwards forwards songs (laughs) lyrics everything right uh and and so i immediately was like ah Bedknobs and broomsticks at Agatha Christie's house. I, I I have to read that story. I have to read it, right? Except it didn't exist. Doesn't exist. So you had to write your dream book. I, I did. Yeah, and that was the that was the gist of the. You know, I okay. I well, somebody has to write it, and I kind of was so, expecting somebody to write it any minute. Like somebody is going to get to right. this World War II story any minute. 
um, I kind of thought maybe somebody else would do it. Somebody British, you know, somebody with a (laughs) a history degree or some interest in research, (laughs) which I did not possess at the time. Um, But I also didn't tell people about it. I kept it secret because obviously in my heart of hearts, I thought maybe, maybe it could be me. So Death at Greenway is my attempt to tell this story. Now I had to learn a lot. I had to do a lot of research trying to figure out how long did the research portion of this take? So long, so long. (laughs) Um, So I got the idea in 2011. I was reading the book in 2011. And uh, I think I was able to tell my editor at HarperCollins about it in 2016, maybe. Oh, I went okay, through I mean, that's, that's like five time. years. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just me like casually mentioning it to her. In, in HarperCollins' office, I was getting a tour. Um, there's a wall with Agatha Christie's face on it in her words, like designed out of her words. And I'm like, ooh, mm-hmm. goals. Yeah, I want one of those. I want a wall with my face made out of my words. (laughs) And they also had one for Beverly Cleary because she was published by Harper as well. So I was like fangirling all over the place, right? And I was telling her my my Beverly Cleary story. And then I and I got to Agatha and I'm like, oh, I have an Agatha Christie story I might like to write someday. And so she's like, oh, tell me after lunch. So we went to lunch, walking back to the office, and she's like, all right, tell me. And so I'm like, well, I don't really have how I'm gonna do this, but you know, uh, bet Johnson broom sticks at that, you know, in World War II, three million children, 10, I didn't know 10 yet, but 10 children were sent to Agatha Christie's house. Um, and she's like, hmm, okay, but not next. And I'm like, oh God, not next. Are you kidding me? This is 2016. I'm working on, I think, my uh, fourth book at the time, writing, drafting my fourth book. Not next. No, that's crazy. Um, but in, a couple of contracts, I think later, um, instead of asking what I wanted to write or asking, okay, here's a book I've written. This is number the book for this contract. They usually were like, oh, and then number four or number or Lori Raider day number six, right? <laughs> Numbers. But in fine. this case, she was like, what was that? Uh, what was that? Agatha thing? What, what was that? Red Nobson not not Broomstick's idea. Yeah. Kids. Somewhere. Yeah. Except I had finished the book that we were offering. And so my Agatha Christie idea from 2011 had been simmering at this point for like six years. And I hadn't really started working on it all that much. And it became my front burner project in an afternoon. So um, oh, yeah, the research no took pressure. Really you're writing <laughs> The research took, you mean, I don't even know when I started the research. It, it sort of did it in layers. One of the first things I did was um, I visited Greenway in 2017. I have a friend who is English who lives in Bristol. So I went to visit her and I said, I need to go to Greenway. So she took me to Greenway. We did all the Agatha Christie tourist stops. It was great. And we just went around the house looking and noting and taking pictures and just I was really at this point, really just trying to, I hadn't sold it yet. I think I sold it in 2018 or some 2000, yeah, 2018. So it was just me trying to see, can the story be told? You know, what is the story? What, how much can I, yeah. how much can I learn? Um, and there wasn't much in the house. Uh, there wasn't anything in the house really about the kids. So we asked a docent who was probably like, oh, thank God somebody asked me a question. 
Um, I don't just have to stand here. In the she corner. was literally standing on a staircase. <laughs> like, uh, and so she's like, oh, yeah, there's this little, uh, like a binder with some printed pages. And, and there was a picture of a little girl about six years old with pigtails. And it had her full name. And she was uh, one of the children who had stayed at Greenway. And she, as an adult, wrote to Greenway and said, here's what I remember about oh. being at Greenway. Right. Was it Doreen? It was Doreen. Yes. I know. I'm like, it was Doreen, wasn't it? <laughs> it's Doreen. Um, little six-year-old Doreen. And I fell in love. Um, but I, the word, there was a letter to me. It was like, okay, there's something. Because there was nothing. There was no book. There was no nonfiction book. There was this half sentence that I had discovered in the current book, right? Um, so they're like, oh, if you're, if, if that, you know, is exciting to you, let's... <laughs> go upstairs. So they took us to this room that's behind Agatha Christie's bedroom that they keep locked. It's not open to the public. And there's a cabinet inside. And when you open the doors, the shelves still have the names of five of the children who stayed at the house during World War II. The, the so girls. It's like they're the little five cubbies. Girls. Doreen cubbies. is right on. Yes. The cubbies where they kept their, their extra clothes or their pajamas, that kind of thing. Their little, their little books with their pictures from home and that sort of thing. Yeah. So Doreen's name is right there on the shelf. And I, that story had been very casual to me. Like, oh, maybe, maybe when I saw the names on the cabinet, I was like, they're going to have to rip this out of my dead, cold hands. I need <laughs> to tell this story. And I think it was also that I thought, well, the history isn't too ancient then. If the, if the tape is still holding on these <laughs> yeah. things. So it's going to be easier. It's easier to write because. And I have Doreen's station. name now. I have a name that I can like look for and, and research and start to dig. Um, and so I started doing that and, and found Doreen in Canada. Um, we are now pen pals by email. Friends. Oh, I love it. I love it, that. She's so has she I read the book? Yes, she read the book early on. Um, and then I have sent her, I sent her the Canadian edition immediately. And then I just sent her a hard copy, a hardcover of the American edition signed to her specifically. She and her son uh, got copies because I have become friends with both of them. Oh my gosh, so, that's an incredible story. I mean, uh. it's it's definitely one of the benefits that I did not expect. I mean, I wasn't sure that anybody would be around you know yeah. it's been yeah. a long time all the people who were adults at the time are long gone uh, and and some of them are unknown the the nurses um who i know were there because agatha christie says in her book that there were two hospital nurses um but no names thank you agatha. hospital nurses <laughs> yeah two hospital nurses like, exactly winky, winky. yeah <laughs> Well, well, Doreen, well trained nurses. Doreen had a theory that they were the daughters of the um, chaperones that took the group, the, uh, mm. the Arbuthnots, who the couple of Arbuthnots. Arbuthnots, yes. Um, the, is so that a real that name? name? It is. Yeah, I was going to say, you did name. not make that name up because it's, it's a handful. Like, it's a it's handful. too good. It's too good to make up is what it is. <laughs> it's Arbuthnot. so British. It's like, <laughs> it, it sounds like somebody who would be working at Downton Abbey. <laughs> Working it down? No, it sounds like somebody my own Downtown yeah. Abbey. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fancy name. Um, it is also a name that the man chose for himself. That is not his real name. <laughs> See, I'm not even a little surprised about that because 
Well, I mean, that, those are some of the themes in there because when when I when we when we got death at Greenway, I had no idea what to expect, and there was definitely a lot of Downton Abbey upstairs, downstairs kind of feel to this. So yes, the children are part of it, but it's not like it's focused on the children. So anyone looking at this, going, I'm not sure I want to read a story about a bunch of little kids. Don't be yeah. don't be turned away. Yeah. <laughs> It's the nurses that we're focusing on and the people yeah. who, there, who are there and the things that happen while these kids are there. And that's what brings them there. But it's yeah. not like, oh, this is none of the kids. get. I was joking that Agatha Christie comes back later in the book and stabs all the children. That does not happen. <laughs> that does not happen. Doesn't happen. <laughs> doesn't happen. <laughs> the children are fine. Because, no exactly, spoilers, because the just, children come on. survived this episode, as far as we know. And Doreen, now a friend of mine. So I, Doreen says fine. One of the things I got from Doreen that I really wanted the book to get to was that Doreen, as a evacuee at Greenway, felt very protected and safe and loved and remembers only fondly her time there. And I just didn't, I didn't want to mess that up, but I had to do a crime story because hi, that's what I write. Because <laughs> that's what you write. You write crime so you can, and you, you don't want to like kill any of these like benevolently beautiful children. Like, don't hurt the urchins. Or anyone hurt. who I could find who was real. So some of yeah, the house yeah. staff, I, I had like a last name and was able to like, I found the real Arbuthnots. I confirmed the real Arbuthnots. I, all I had was Arbuthnot when I started. Um, because that's what Agatha called them. But uh, I was able to find like documentation that actually confirmed it was them because Mrs. Arbuthnot wrote her will on uh, Greenway had uh, letterhead. Of course she did. Of course she did. And in, uh, and, in that one act is her character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, like, and not then, shocked at all. <laughs> not shocked. And then the Scaldwells are the couple who uh, lived at the house and yeah. worked there for like, Agatha. Do, like the I mean, caretakers. Caretakers, exactly, caretakers. And the estate of Agatha Christie gave me the name Scaldwell saying, this might be them, but we don't really know. We don't really have any information. They had one detail that Mr. Scaldwell's nephew was killed in the war uh, very early on, and he was 20 years old. He was in the uh, Royal Air Force. So that was enough to triangulate and find that detail. It's actually Mrs. Scaldwell's nephew found them, confirmed, these are the people. And also, I mean, hats, hats off to Ancestry.com. I spent, I lived there for six weeks. Just lived there. It's in my mail. Uh, one of the things you can get there is like the, uh, you know, the documents, the, um, the, uh, like the, census. Like like most, yeah. the census. Exactly. Yeah. It's called a register. Baptized to get it right the and, yeah. Yeah. Agatha Christie's in there, you know, on the day they took the, the register census at Greenway. So, and she and her husband were also there the day war was announced, which I know from reading both of their autobiographies. So Agatha's in the book, not a lot because it's about the house. And she did yeah. leave the house and go to London to sort of famously work as a pharmacist uh, assistant during the war. So she was there, but I, you know, she came and came and went. When I learned that she tried to sell Greenway during the war, I'm like, oh, honey. Like, oh, she's got to come back now. <laughs> she got to come back. Well, then there's there's that whole plot then of well, what's going to happen and who should be here, children or should there be people stationed here? And there are cannons on that hill. Is that really a good place for the kids to be playing? (laughs) Well, they're old cannon. They're not functional (laughs) cannons. They were still like riding them like a horse. (laughs) These kids, and I'm just picturing my youngest, who's the boy, be like, I'm riding on a cannon. Like, oh, they had to. There's no way they didn't ride those things like ponies. But they did. I mean, they're still there to this day. They're from like this, you know, fighting off the Spanish Armada. Mm. So 
It's uh, this place You're has been used now. for for generations. <laughs> um, it was, and that was one of the things that I did not expect. I didn't set out to write a a war book exactly, and I de- I definitely didn't want to go into the trenches. I think those stories are great. I, there are many of them that I really like, but um, I'm that's not the kind of story I, I write. But as I researched the house more and more um some of these themes started sneaking in in places that i did not (laughs) intend and and one of the things i knew was that the house was requisitioned by the admiralty so it kicked the group of children out they had to move on so they they stayed in two different other places uh before the war finished and they went back to their parents these are of course children who had parents um i don't know if they all survived but they were not orphans. Um, some of the stories about evacuees it seems like they're orphans uh, in the same way that, you know, all children's book protagonists are orphans because yeah. it's easier to have. Oh, yeah. parents. You've got to get rid of the parents first. Kill the parents, foremost. right? Just, say, that's back to YA. First rule of YA is kill all your parents. Yeah. Like, there can't <laughs> be parents around. Like, mm-hmm. it nope. No, it's boring. It's, you know, there, there are rules when there are parents, right? But these children actually had parents and would have seen their parents. They would have gotten visits from them. Um, you know, over, over the entire war, but they were gone for six years, almost like four, four and a half to six years, depending on, you know, how Incredible. soon they went. And um, I, I can't even imagine that, like there's a later part and it's, it's not really a spoiler because it's not central to the plot, but when these, when these children are being reunited with parents that they don't even really know that just, it just broke me because the idea of a little one like, hey, this one's a baby because Mrs. Arbuthnot's running around with babies and well, yeah, you want to keep the baby safe, but Where's baby's mom that whole time? The baby's mom is maybe working in a factory or, yeah. And And then when baby goes back, that's, sure, that's mom. I don't know who you are. I mean, they would have, they would have spent a little time over, you know, like visits, weekend visits and stuff like that. But yeah, there's no, there's, there's no really like emotional connection. A lot of children had bad evacuee, you know, in addition to being gone from their parents, uh, there are a lot of stories of abuse, of being used as like, you know, workers in yeah. the house, yeah. of being treated like downstairs, um, you know, even in normal homes, not, you know, uh, Downton Abbey type homes. But well, um, and some of them go through wardrobes and end up in Narnia. So you never well, know what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I kept waiting for that to happen. But, you know, it did not. That that, that cabinet with the names. But there was, yeah. a, there was a bad. No, I know. When you started tape. with that story and you're like, and then we opened the cabinet. I was like, <laughs> and there was another world. I'm like, nope, that's Narnia. Mm-hmm. And then they got on the bed and then the bed flies <laughs> and then it goes under the sea. That's from Bed Nods and Broomsticks, if anybody's listening, going, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, what's yeah. happening? And when you said that some of these kids weren't treated so well, some of them had to live under the stairs <laughs> and they couldn't leave until Hogwarts called for them. So it was really <laughs> I mean, very sad. had to be 11 before you know, <laughs> the owl comes, you know. Um, yeah, so your point about it not being a, a story about the children is really key because I, I didn't want to mess with that. I didn't want to mess with Doreen's memories. I didn't, and I didn't want to mess with history. I researched yeah. and researched and researched trying to find as much as I could. And it hadn't been researched before really. So uh, there was a lot to find. Um, but it kept kind of narrowing the alleyways by which I could write fiction. It really mm-hmm. got desperate at one point to be like, I just want to write a story. I don't know where the story is going to happen. <laughs> The nurses, of course, having like, you know, no names, no nothing. All I Freedom. know is 
hospital. I mean, yes. I, when I was writing about them, like, oh, thank God. Uh, <laughs> they could be anything. I'm just going to give them both the same name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why names. I did that originally. It was just a, it was a whim. And then, of course, mm-hmm. it paid off. There, were, there was lots of stuff that I think that was useful for. Names and identity became part of the story in a way that I did yeah. not plan. Well, and didn't war. at one point one of them yeah. say her name was Fiona? Well, they, yeah, they lie. Uh, they go into well, my the, eldest the is Fiona. So I laughed at that. I'm like, oh. ah, Fiona. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very common name in England. And I, I love it. I love Fee. Fee mm-hmm. as a nickname. She's my Fee. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the, you know, the war sneaked in because the more I researched, the house played this pivotal uh, role in the war. I mean, even uh, some might say it helped win it because it was requisitioned and then taken over by the out, changed. They added 14 latrines. Uh, to the larder um, where they would normally <laughs> store food. There were lots of toilets and I assume no privacy. That's um, where I want to store my food. I mean, <laughs> they stored the food somewhere else, I think. But uh, <laughs> and they, That's where that jam ended up. Oh, <laughs> it's a latrine. Actually, the jam went missing. So the other thing, um, it's very obvious if you go to Greenway, there's a, a freeze painted on above uh, the library on the, at the, you know, like the top of the while it's all the way around by one of the sailors, one of the U.S. Coast Guard uh, officers who was stationed there in blues and grays, military paint. Uh, he painted this beautiful frieze. And that's the one thing that when they got the house back, um, Agatha said, no, I don't want to paint that over. Leave that. So that it. is one of I the features that. of Greenway today. So I knew there was a lot more information about uh, that that part of the war when it was used for the the sailors and then i mean that area it the, so the house is up on a hill above the river dart uh near dartmouth it's about a couple of miles in from dartmouth you know upstream basically and um but dartmouth that area would have been one of the places was one of the places that the military really built up so that when d-day launched all these ships would have come out streaming there were several, um, you know, uh, creeks, basically, river um, estuaries that were used in this way, five or six for D-Day. We always think about D-Day as like, oh, right, then they were landing and it was horrible. Yes, but the preparation for it being done to get in there. secret. To get there. Yeah. yeah. And being <laughs> like, hey, Nazis, not here. Um, it was, this was one of the places. So uh, underneath Agatha Christie's house on the River Dart, that was one of the places that they were stacking up thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, sailors and, and soldiers and landing craft and ships getting ready for a D-Day. And so that had to become part of the story. Does the bathtub still have a shelf for apples? <laughs> you know what? I don't think I got to see the actual bathtub. No. Um, so Greenway is actually, you, it's owned by the National Trust now, the, uh, the Christie family gave the house uh, to the National Trust. And then the National Trust spent, I think, five million pounds uh, making it sturdy and and making sure it was, you know, built for the ages and, and, and getting it to the place where you could go visit as a tourist, right? But also they do um, this thing there that I love. You can rent apartments in all these old houses <gasps> through the National Trust. We're going. Trust. Oh, oh, God, we're going. Right? Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so I like, oh, yeah. stayed there. I don't know if you guys knew that, but I, I stayed at Greenway. This part of my research program, after I knew what I didn't know, I went back 
but this time as the guest of the National Trust, they let uh, my husband and I stay in this room that Sophie Hanna, a friend of mine who writes for the estate, um, the Poirot novels, uh, said, oh, when she heard my idea, she said, oh, you must talk to Belinda. And I'm like, yeah, talk, put yeah, me in touch with Belinda. And really? Belinda is one of the, the National Trust uh, employees who was like, oh, yeah, you can stay here three nights. Sure. So they let us stay there um, for free. It's this little room that they don't rent out. It's kept for dignitaries. Um, it's really a one oh, like you, Lori. You're a dignitary. Well, like Sophie Hanna, more like, but, okay. but, but, you know, friend of Sophie Hanna, it's really Good a enough. one person kind of writer retreat situation, but, uh, my husband, but your husband was there. So, so we went and we just, <laughs> we just lived there. The people who rented the apartments, the top floor is, I think maybe three apartments. And I think it's sort of like, oh, a big family could rent the, the whole thing kind of thing. Um, they're not there because of Agatha Christie. They're there to, you know, take the ferry to Dartmouth or they're there to take a river cruise or they're, I don't, I literally don't know what they, these people were doing. They would be gone all day and they'd come stomping home at midnight or so, uh, by which time we were like, we're, we're in bed. But, uh, what we were there, like we lived there. So the, the staff who works there during the day and, you know, for the visitors, they come in around 9.30 and they, that the stroke of 5.30, it is a ghost town. They're gone. Um, so, but we stayed on and we, we didn't have anywhere to go. We didn't have access to a car. So if we wanted to go to town, we walked into town. We took the ferry to Dartmouth. We did all the things that I thought the nurses might do this. The nurses the kids would do that. Yeah. 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 We just lived there like Agatha and Max. We had a little drink on the hill and uh, it was great. It was wonderful, but you can rent those apartments. And I actually would love to go. Um, well, let's do, we'll do that. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, let's do that. <laughs> writers retreat at Agatha's house. Writers <laughs> retreat, writers retreat. Let's go. Um, and then of course, like somebody's going to go missing or there's going to be a crime. Oh, and then I mean, we'll all have to solve it. <laughs> Somebody was like, Oh, you could, your next book, you could write a contemporary. And I'm like, I need a little break from, uh, yeah, like, I love know. it, but I need a little hard stop uh and write something different but maybe you could write just like um like a fan fiction combo of like ramona <laughs> visits greenway adult <laughs> she's ramona. On the bed. No, no, she knows whatever it's <laughs> just like, awesome. of all the things we've talked about <laughs> exactly um Lori, i hate to say this we are out of time um, that's too bad because it has been a lot of fun talking to you. Lately. You have been wonderful. I know for people who are just listening to this, like we're blowing kisses. That's kissy so like, faces. So thank you, Lori, for being here. Thank you to Roman, our producer, and Pam Stack, our executive producer. This has been a copywritten podcast by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned next week. I'm going to massacre this name, I think, when we have Amanda Jayatisa. I think that's right. I that could be right. Amanda that sounds Jayatisa. right. And she will be here talking about her debut novel, My Sweet Girl. So until then, bye. Bye. <laughs>